Well, good morning, church in Bellevue. It is good to be one church. When I arrived here as a new pastor from California, after I had been here only a few weeks, I got a call from Gary Gobranson, and he said, I'm from Westminster Chapel, let me buy you lunch. So I agreed to go, and I'd only been here a couple weeks, so I remember driving to lunch thinking, what's he want, what's he gonna ask for, right? Like, what do I have to do now? And when I got there, really the purpose of the lunch was he knew I was a new pastor in town, and he just wanted to welcome me and offer to help in any way that he could. And I think that says a lot about Gary. That kind of church unity would not have happened where I came from in California. This, would, this is a rare thing. I hope you realize. What we've got going here on the east side, this is very rare. Unfortunately, it's rare. Churches working together like this. And I think that one incident says a lot about who Gary is, his commitment to seeing God's kingdom come on the east side, not just to build his church, but to build the kingdom, and his recognition that that's not going to be just one church, it's going to take all of us. And uh, since that time, I've been privileged to work with Gary on a number of things, including the service day that we did yesterday, this event, the Board of Jubilee Reach, and he is a class act. I have been very much impressed with his integrity, his humility. He is universally respected by pastors on the east side because of his long and faithful service on the east side, his commitment to bringing churches together, his love for Jesus, his passion to see God's kingdom come here on the east side. Plus, he's just super fun to hang out with, just a really good guy. Gary, you're just awesome. <laughs> Let's welcome Gary Gobranson. My goodness, I'd like to meet that guy, whoever he is. So I know there are a number of you who've heard me speak before uh, because you're forced to do it at least 50 Sundays a year for the last 25 years. Uh, there's a whole lot of you who've never heard me speak before, so I love to tell this story to let the rest of you know what kind of treat you have in store for you today. So I was preaching my second sermon on a Sunday morning, this is a number of years ago now, and I looked up in the balcony and noticed a little commotion. It was my then 12-year-old daughter, Marcy, who got up out of the service and walked out. Well, I was driving the girls home from church that morning, and before I took off, I turned, looked her in the eye, and I said, Marcy, Dad was a little concerned. You got up in the middle of my message and walked out. Were you ill? She said, no, Dad. I said, then did you need to use the restroom? She said, no, Dad. I said, then why in the world did you get up in the middle of my message and walk out? She said, I was bored. I said, you were bored. In the, most, in the middle of the most important thing I do, I've studied all week to prepare a message for God's people. In the middle of the most important thing I do with my life, you tell me you were bored. You got up and walked out. She said, Dad, you've taught me to be honest. You asked, I answered. <laughs> so I decided to turn this into a teaching moment because that's what we do, right? We're supposed to turn it into a teaching moment. I said, let me explain it to you this way. Your Uncle Dan is an eye surgeon. What if right in the middle of one of his operations, the patient just got up off the table and walked out? How would Uncle Dan feel? He said, Dad, he'd feel pretty bad, but it's not the same thing. Well, skip the teaching moment. I'm preaching now. I'm pounding. It's very much the same thing. Word of God is my scalpel. You are my patient. You are on the table. You are opened up in front of everybody, and you got up at the table and walked out. How do you think that makes me feel? She said, Dad, I know it makes you feel really bad, but it's not the same thing. I said, okay, you're really smart. What's different about it? She said, Uncle Dan puts his patients to sleep before he operates. <laughs> so I'll try to keep you awake for the whole operation here this morning, which won't be long. I came across a book a number of years ago that captured my attention. I was ministering in a church in Chicago at the time, and the title of the book was If Christ Came to Chicago. 
It was written by a British journalist in the year 1893. He had come to this country as a journalist to write about the city of Chicago on the heels of the World's Fair. What he wound up writing about was something that came out of a level of discouragement for him. He took a look at the social justice issues, poverty and prejudice that was present in the city. He looked at political upheaval. He looked at the moral confusion and conflict that existed in that great city. And then he looked at the church. And his conclusion was that Christ had been banished from the very world that he had created and that that wasn't right. So the subtitle of his book was this, If Christ Came to Chicago, A Plea for the Union of All Those Who Love with All Those Who Suffer. It made me stop to think if William Stead had the opportunity to come to Bellevue and write a second book, if he were around now, and it would be entitled, If Christ Came to Bellevue, what would be in his book? I think it would be some of the stories that surfaced out of this last weekend or maybe over the last 13 years as, as God's people in this community began to invest their lives with their neighbors and their schools and our government and houses and all the other places here. And I wanted to share a couple of those stories that have unfolded in recent days from a couple of other people who've experienced it. So I'm gonna ask a couple of friends to come and join me. So Heidi Hoffman, if you would come up at this time and Wayne uh, Omagachi, if you would come. Wayne is the lead pastor at the Lighthouse Christian Church, and uh, he had a big group of people who were out at school yesterday, had a great day, I understand, right? And then Heidi is a very dedicated follower of Jesus, and she's a true servant, and she's told me she's scared to death to do this, but she's going to do it anyway. So I've asked a couple of uh, questions of these two. I've asked them to talk about, they've both been observers and participants with Christ's presence in our community over the last while. And so I've asked them to speak to both those issues briefly. They're gonna talk about how they've observed Christ's presence here in our community and then what kind of impact it's had on them personally. So who wants to go first? Okay, Heidi, I knew you would do that. There you go, get it over with. There you go. Okay, good morning, thank you, Gary. Um, for the last four years, I've been the coordinator at Newport Heights Elementary. And this has allowed me the opportunity to get a front row seat at the amazing work that God is doing not only in our community, but in schools and also in the lives of individuals. I get the thrill to witness many miracles each year as I serve through Jubilee Service Day. I get to see spontaneous prayer circles come together with a non-believing teacher who has trusted her volunteers to pray with her in regards to her recent cancer diagnosis. I've also watched God turn a skeptical atheist teacher into a believer and finally decided to participate in Jubilee Service Day last year. I also get to observe hundreds of volunteers, which is you guys, that are God's hands and feet, loving and serving the teachers of our community. So here's a fun fact for you. On average, there are roughly 100 volunteers at each of the 19 schools that we serve on this day. If you do the math and multiply these hours served by the volunteers, it comes up to four years of work. That's a ton of work that you are all doing. I've always believed that it's nothing short of a miracle that the public Bellevue School District allows us, a Christian organization, to come and serve in their schools. This is truly a testament of God's power and seeing God in Bellevue. Yeah. Uh, 
part is, um, as a participant, how has my personal involvement with Christ's work in our community changed me? So I have a new personal mantra. It, it goes something like this. Let go and let God. This means letting go of my control and letting God orchestrate his plan. As I look back over the last four years that I participated in Jubilee Service Day, this has become a theme. There's only so much that I can do to control this day, and the rest is up to God. I love watching God be so tangible on this day and in every single detail. So a story to illustrate this point. Four years ago, which was my first year at Newport Heights, I found myself being awestruck by God's presence. For those of you who don't know me, I'm very organized, and I'm in all the little details. I crossed my T's, I dot my I's, I made sure all the volunteers were in their right position, and all the rooms were filled with their volunteers. The one thing I didn't take into account was there was going to be no-shows. And on this particular day, there was 23 no-shows that didn't come to volunteer. And so that equated to about five classrooms without volunteers. So just as I was trying to control the situation, I saw God show up in Bellevue. He showed up in the form of Newport Hills Community Church. They had not registered, and they were not in my radar. They had just heard about it, and they had showed up at their church, which is just a few blocks away from the school, and decided to walk over and help. Can you guess how many people were in that group? <laughs> 23, yeah. God was very, very present that day. He provided the workers that were needed to fulfill his day. This has also taught me a valuable lesson in letting go and letting God do his thing. So in closing, I just want to say thank you to all of you and thank you to all the amazing volunteers at Jubilee Reach. It's a tremendous opportunity to serve with my family, with friends, with this community of faith, and above all, watch God be present in Bellevue. Good job. You're on. Okay. All right, thanks for coming out today. I really urged and encouraged our church to come, and uh, I see many of you are here, so thanks everyone for being here. What a wonderful day. Uh, we had yesterday, I'm the pastor, the lead pastor of Lighthouse Christian Church, and we moved up here, our family moved up here uh, 17 years ago to plant this church, and it's been a wonderful thing, and we are what's called a portable church. You know what that is? Not potable, portable. <laughs> portable. And uh, so we meet at a, at a building we don't own, and we just lease it on Sunday mornings. It's called Phantom Lake Elementary School, and we have been in five schools during our 17 years as a church. But we've been at Phantom Lake since 2008. And unlike the previous four churches, four schools where we used to meet, I think this is the first school we've, we've met at on Sunday mornings where we've really gotten involved with the school and the community. And it's been wonderful. In 2009, we, we participated for the first time in Jubilee Service Day. And uh, each year, we've seen more volunteers from our church. But also, what's been really encouraging to me is uh, we've seen an increased number of teachers and staff who want our help. When we started out in 2009, <laughs> I don't think uh, they knew us. Uh, they didn't know how we could help them, and I don't think many of them trusted us. And so we had just a handful of teachers who asked for our help with their classrooms and a few of the staff. And uh, yesterday, uh, we served uh, 27 teachers and staff people. Uh, we had about 240 volunteers at the school, most of them from our church, some others as well. And it was really exciting. And so. Our volunteers worked on 23 classrooms to help them uh, prepare for the beginning of the school year and help the staff in, in their office work as well. And one of the things that I would say, the question actually that uh, Pastor Gary gave us is, as an observer, what have you seen Christ do through his people in our community? 
And uh, my short answer to that is I have seen over the years uh, what Christ is doing is unifying the churches around the call to love our neighbors and to serve our community in Jesus' name. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so uh, we have found many ways to serve our school, uh, support PTA events and fundraisers. A lot of the volunteers often come from our church. We also have been financially supporting the site coaches who have served at our school. And we've uh, had teacher development days at our ministry center as, as just trying to be gracious hosts. Uh, they had a math Olympiad, some of the math Olympiad teams, and the coaches were from our church. And we've just found ways to uh, try to serve the community and the church. And it's been a really wonderful thing. And uh, I've been really encouraged. We, we always have a harvest festival, like many churches, and a Labor Day picnic. And we have made those really uh, our gifts to serve our community. And so we do a lot just to, for free, offer to them, you know, food and games and music and all of that. And it just has become a vehicle for us to uh, let our community know we are here, but we are here to serve and to love on you. So I love this. I think Christ is unifying churches around the call to love our neighbors and to serve our community in Jesus' name. Now, before I finish, uh, Pastor Gary asked us another question, and that was, uh, how has your personal involvement with Christ's work in our community changed you as a person? And I was thinking about this, and one of the things that's happened is I feel very hopeful for the church. Not that I wasn't before, but I'm much more hopeful now. And uh, I, I love that. You know, um, some people from our church uh, last year started a, a, a play group for, you know, stay-at-home parents who have preschool uh, children that are younger than preschool or preschool. And on Tuesday mornings, they gather at our ministry center. And it's been really cool. But shortly after they started, there was a, a woman, a recent immigrant from Korea, and she just saw people leaving our ministry center one day, and she asked about, what is that? What's going on? And she was told about the play group. She was invited to come back the next week, and she did. And uh, so she and her daughter, they're recent immigrants. They don't speak much English. They're, they're not Christians, but they became part of the play group. And to me, one of the highlights of this year was uh, this woman not only had a young daughter, but she was pregnant with her second child. And so the, uh, the people, the Christians in that play group, decided to hold for her a baby shower. And in her background, in her culture, she had never been to a baby shower. In fact, she had never heard of a baby shower. <laughs> she didn't even know what it was. And I got to drop in uh, just for a few minutes during that baby shower, and this is what I saw. I saw beautiful decorations, a personalized cake with her name on it. I saw games and prizes, and, and just people uh, who have been loved by Jesus, trying to love in Jesus' name, and loving this woman and her child and her um, you know, and just blessing her in her pregnancy. And to me, that was just one of my favorite moments of the year. I thought, this is a wonderful thing. She's not a Christian. She's not a, you know, she barely speaks English. And yet she is learning through God's people something about the reality of God's love. So I'm, I'm really hopeful for the church and the ways that we are joining together to serve our community and to love our neighbors in Jesus' name. And I'm very excited about ministry. And uh, people, I'm at an age now where people are asking me, oh, how long are you going to do this pastor thing? And have you thought about retirement and, you know, all those questions. And I don't get offended. Uh, but, but this is what I, I – what part of my answer is, well, I know I have to retire at some point, but I've never been this excited about ministry. And I love the church. I love the Lord and the ministry, and I'm excited about uh, what he's doing. The man who led our involvement yesterday, uh, his name is Bill, and he's a fairly recent Christian. And I, he's told me several times, and I heard him say again today uh, – yesterday – that uh, he really came to Christ because – just a few years ago because he knew believers, Christians, who were just kind and caring people and cared about him, and that made him curious, 
and eventually he became not only curious but spiritually hungry, sought a church, came to our church. We saw him come to faith and get baptized a couple of years ago, and now he's uh, one of the co-leaders of our Jubilee Service Day. And I just praise God because that's the power of people just loving as Jesus loves and loving our community in Jesus' name. So thanks for all of your involvement as well. So I knew you were the right people to ask to do this. I'm going to change the question from one that maybe William Stead would ask if he came to Bellevue. Uh, it, what if Christ came to Bellevue? I would hope that William Stead would uh, be in contact with people like Heidi or Pastor Wayne and talk to them about their excitement of Jesus' involvement in this community. But I'm going to change the question to something far more personal for every single one of us. What if Jesus came to your house? What if he came to your personal space? What if he formed a relationship with you that was transformative? I'm going to actually share a little bit of a, a biblical story with you, one of the interactions that Jesus had toward the end of his earthly ministry with a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And Jesus actually invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. So 10 verses in Luke chapter 19. Uh, let me read these for you and then I'll comment just briefly on this. Uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and he received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, some self-righteous people in the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Why would Jesus ever do a thing like that? That's not in here. I just read that for you. So. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So I want to take you step by step for just a couple of moments on the transformation journey that Zacchaeus had. It began with Jesus in the community, not in the church. That may take some of you by surprise. We spend an awful lot of time making sure church is the right kind of place that can receive people. But this first encounter took place in the community, the same place where Jesus had calmed the storm, where Jesus had fed the thousands, where Jesus had healed the sick, raised the dead, and basically spoke to a religious audience that needed to, needed to be challenged. Jesus did that kind of thing, and it produced, as Pastor Wayne said, in the flow of things, a, a level of curiosity in Zacchaeus, not contempt. It's interesting, there's a book that's been written in recent days that came out of the Barna Research Group. David Kinnaman wrote it about young adults in our culture and their personal habits about church attendance, involvement, that sort of thing. And what he basically said is that we have a whole generation of people in our culture today who are pushing back on faith because they have determined that Christians are judgmental, that we are not accepting of people who are not like us, that we're not involved in the community, we're not investing our lives, and we're not making that kind of change. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, Don Eberts wrote a wonderful little book, and I recommend it to you. We're taking our congregation through it called I Once Was Lost. And in this, he talks about the first threshold for people who eventually come to know Jesus is curiosity. They take a look at Jesus' people at work in the world, and they ask the question that I'm sure Zacchaeus asked. I've never seen anybody like this. What's different about this guy? I'm sure Zacchaeus had felt the pressure of people who wanted to judge him and not receive him. 
So Jesus in the community produced curiosity in Zacchaeus. And then there was what I call a compassionate confrontation. Jesus stops under the tree where Zacchaeus had climbed to see Jesus. That's the way he was going to fulfill his curiosity. He wanted to see Jesus for himself. But Jesus talks to him. And I love the interaction because a couple of very important things happen there. In this compassionate confrontation, Jesus does identification and invitation. He calls him by name. How did that happen? Maybe there's some people whispering in his ear, this guy, you know, he's not a good guy. Uh, he's going to be here on the path some, somewhere. You need to avoid him. He knew Zacchaeus by name. He calls him by name. How important is that to anybody? For somebody who is a follower of Jesus to take the time to get to know who we are and call us by name. But Jesus didn't stop there in this confrontation. There's invitation. And Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' place. I'm going to come to your house today. Now, it's an interesting kind of invitation. It's an awful lot like the incarnation, isn't it? that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, that God extended the invitation before we ever invited him, and that that's what Jesus did to Zacchaeus, which led to the next step on his journey. So they met in community. Uh, curiosity came out of that interaction. Curiosity led to a compassionate confrontation, which led to a convicting conversation. Now, you don't read this in the short story that we have in the scripture, but you know that Jesus talked about some very important things. He shared the gospel with Zacchaeus. And the gospel may be a little different than we normally look at it. We look at it as the good news, and people need some good news today, don't they? But the gospel here, without question, included repentance. Zacchaeus, you've done some things in your life that you shouldn't be doing, and you need to change. That's what repentance is all about. You see things as they truly are. You see the possibilities that can come out of a relationship with me, and you begin to change. But the gospel also includes forgiveness. Can you imagine how discouraging the good news would be if it only included repentance? That would be sin management. It wouldn't set anybody free. But forgiveness is a part of this picture as well. So Jesus offers him forgiveness. You know, you can see your life for what it really is, but I forgive you. I'm going to take you out of this culture that's full of self-assertion, and I know it's somewhat tough for you to see yourself in this weakened place, but it's a good thing. And then in that gospel presentation where the possibilities of restoration, we see that happen as well. Let me pause for just a minute and ask this question. Why Zacchaeus? Why is this story in the scripture? Why did Jesus take the time to interact with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus worked for the Roman government. Jews in that day were not pleased with the presence of Rome in Israel. And not only did he work for the Roman government, but he collected taxes for them. And while there were certain requirements that went with the job, tax collectors in that day were pretty corrupt because they could actually take whatever tax they wanted to. And many of them became rich because of that. And it says here that Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, and he was very rich. But I don't think it's the question of why, it's the question of why not. Why not Zacchaeus? Why not this individual who needed to know Jesus just like anybody else does? I attended a funeral a couple of weeks ago for my grandchildren's great-grandfather. This is on my son-in-law's side of the family, so you know, it's those other people that are part of our family. But great-grandpa Harry, Harry McDonald, a long-term Presbyterian minister in our area, uh, very involved with young life over the years. I came to know Christ early as a boy, and then uh, throughout his life was dedicated to sharing his faith. 
Uh, in fact, he started Young Life in Brazil, became the international director of Young Life, served a church uh, in Burien for 16 years. Just an incredible individual, and it was, it was a very encouraging thing to listen to his family talk about the influence of Grandpa Harry on their lives. One of the sons stood up and he said, I confronted my dad when I was in elementary school. I said, Dad, why is it that you talk to everybody about Jesus? Everywhere we go, it's the most embarrassing thing you do. And Harry gave an answer that I think is very powerful and it's part of this story. He said, I happen to believe that everybody has a right to know how much Jesus loves them. That's why I talk to everybody I meet. And I think that's where Jesus was coming from and that's why he reached out to Zacchaeus and that's why we do the things we do in our community because everybody has the right to know how much Jesus loves them. So there was this convicting conversation that led to a life-changing connection with Christ himself. Biblically, the Bible says that we become new creations when we make that connection with Jesus, when we get in him and he gets in us. In fact, that little phrase, in Christ, appears 232 times in the New Testament, no more powerfully than when it suggests that we are brand new when Jesus comes to us. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. And that's what happened at Zacchaeus' house. He was the new creation in that setting. In fact, this guy that had been greedy is now generous. This guy who was into himself is now involved with social justice. Everything began to change. In fact, he began to look, and when Christ begins to do work in our lives, he begins to take us to the place where we need to have him show up the most. And for Zacchaeus, it's what he had been doing with his life every single day. And so he says, this is, this is what's happening to me. This is the way I, I reason out the presence of Jesus in my life today. He said, I'm gonna give half of what I have to the poor. I wanna make this powerful statement that this, this stuff no longer has that control over me. And if I've defrauded anybody, and believe me, he had. He said, I'm gonna give them fourfold what I've taken from them. In fact, I don't know how rich he was, but that may have truly depleted uh, his wealth. But it didn't matter because he had the greatest wealth in a relationship that had been formed personally with Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? Well, there's one more part of this. So they met in community, it created curiosity, which led to a compassionate confrontation, uh, identification, invitation, which led to a convicting conversation that was all about the gospel, which led to this life-changing connection with Jesus. But it wasn't just for that day. It was for all of Zacchaeus' life and everything he would experience in eternity. What Jesus did for him was create a Christ-centered context for life. So every day, Jesus was present. Every day, Jesus was there directing his life. It'd be interesting to know what happened to him. People speculate. Some people believe he changed his name to Matthias and he was the disciple that replaced uh, when uh, the church got started. I don't know, but I do know his life was changed. I'm gonna close with a story about the power of this life-changing context. And a lot of you could stand up here and tell your own story about how Jesus changed you and then changed the place where you live and then changed all the interactions of your life. But 19 years ago in August, trouble came to our house. Trouble and brokenness is part of this broken world that we live in. And I didn't wanna let trouble in, but I had no choice. Our 23-year-old daughter, newly married, she'd been married for three months, perfectly healthy, as happy as she'd ever been in her life was out running errands and her heart skipped a beat and didn't start again. She was here one moment in that power of, of newfound love and all of the hope of her future and then she's gone. And I can tell you that having walked with people through grief, 
multiple times over the years. I knew how to handle that in the lives of others. It was a different story for me and for Jory as we wrestled with the implications of that at our house. So trouble came to our house, but you know what trouble didn't know? Is that Jesus had come to our house years and years before that. That a neighbor, I go back 55 years, a neighbor, brand new neighborhood for me in South Dakota, neighbor down the street created curiosity for my parents, which involved us starting to go to church and eventually our home being changed, my life being changed, the trajectory of my life being changed. Jesus was at our house. And as hard as that circumstance was, we could embrace it in his bigger picture for us because he was there. And this is what our, our ultimate goal is in our involvement in this community is to create the kind of curiosity that allows us to have the conversations that will introduce people to Jesus in all of his reality and change their homes as well as their lives. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and then we're gonna invite our team to come back up here and do some other things. Would you bow with me for a minute? Let me close this off. So there may be some of you who are here who Jesus has been looking for entry into your home for a long time. And you're here because you love the idea of, of people of faith or Christians getting involved in our community in the way that we have, but for you it hasn't become personal to the point where it's changed you. And Jesus wants to come and live with you. And he stands at the door of your life, just like the book of Revelation says, and he's seeking entrance. And maybe you need to open up to him today. Or perhaps years ago you've invited him in, but he hasn't had free access to every part of your life. And there are things he wants to do in you, and, and the gospel needs its full work. Repentance, forgiveness, restoration, all of those things as well. And maybe you'll allow him to do that for you today. Just like Zacchaeus. Maybe your life can be changed in the way that his was. Father, I pray that you do that work. Thank you for the privilege of being able to share these thoughts. Thank you for the, those who have shared their personal stories already, for the worship that continues in this place together. In Jesus' name, amen.